It has already been an awesome evening. Got even more excitement, cool things uh, for you tonight. Uh, very, very tonight, we got a very special uh, guest uh, bringing, us, uh, bringing us some truth from the Lord uh, this evening. I want to introduce you, uh, our speaker this evening. Oh, thank you. Uh, is the one and only uh, Scott Tomlinson. Scott, come on up here. Um, you, may, uh, you may or may not recognize Scott. Uh, Scott uh, leads the Solid Ground uh, class at RBC. Uh, if you were at the uh, God Exist uh, debate, um, was that or last year, middle of last year? Uh, Scott, uh, Scott was speaking at that. As uh, an apologist, does a lot of different things uh, in that in that regard. Um, but a few lesser known facts that you things you may not know about Scott. Scott was actually volunteering uh, with the youth ministry uh, when I started on staff uh, at RBC just a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, he was a volunteer, led a, led a small group, uh, helped out a lot of winter retreats, summer camps. He was actually our, our medic, our nurse uh, for many, many uh, a summer camp and winter retreat. Um, for that, he, uh, he's a, a world-class skydiver. Uh, he actually taught, all this, uh, taught skydiving to special forces, lots of things uh, like that. Um, he is now a military strategist. Um, you know, he, he works for the government um, about all, all things uh, tech and a lot of other things uh, that we will be hearing about tonight. He and his wife, Tracy, have four kids, uh, 10 through six, right? Four. four. Okay. Lots of, lots of things going on there. Um, but Scott... Uh, Scott has just really faithfully for years uh, invested uh, in our church, cared for people, uh, taught God's word, taught uh, a, a, really an awesome apologist. But more than that, uh, I just have been so blessed by his humility to serve across so many different uh, areas uh, of our church. To, to be like one of the smartest people I know and still... Uh, be like, okay, I'll come and be be the nurse. I'll be the whatever set up, whatever random things. For the years that he he volunteered with senior high, the number of random things Scott set up uh, for Bob and I were just were just crazy. Uh, super great for him. I think you guys are going to be really blessed uh, tonight. So give your full attention to Scott Tomlinson. Thanks. I've been away too long. I have not seen this group particularly, but I haven't seen junior and senior high. Am I standing in the wrong spot? Is this better? Okay. Now stop standing in front of the monitors. Basic physics. Uh, I'm very encouraged by what I see here. This is an amazing group. Uh, you seem to be amazing people, and I'm very much impressed with everything I'm seeing. I got a question for you. I'm old, as you can tell. How long uh, I've been old is up to you. Is it easier or harder being a young person today or back when I was a young person? 
Hands for easier. Hands for harder. It's much harder. Much harder. You guys, what you have to deal with today is unbelievable. 1900, world population was just about a billion and a half people. Who knows what it is today? Eight billion people. Why? Why did it go from one billion, and by the way, the graph in history is like this, and then in 1900, it goes up like this shortly after. Why? There's one reason for it. Does anybody know it? So it had to do with that, yes? Almost. What else? Baby boom? No, before that. Somebody invented artificial fertilizer. Two Germans invented artificial fertilizer and the, and the food population support capability, food support capability to the population increased to the point where people didn't have to be hungry all the time and they could have more kids and they wouldn't starve to death. They could have more kids and support them. And that's what fueled the population growth. What else did ammonium and ammonium nitrate fuel? Built some of the most powerful explosives prior to nuclear stuff. So not only did we see a boom of population, it was so bad in World War I, does anybody know where the Nobel Prize came from? Alfred Nobel, you know what he worked in? He invented dynamite. And he was so horrified by what happened in World War I that he sold it all off and said, I'm going to start the Nobel Prize idea for, for peace. That was a very interesting time. From 1900, basically 1910, up, up until now, you've seen a major explosion in world population. And of course, when you have that much power, you have a lot of potential for power to go the other direction. So you saw two world wars and more deaths in a single century than all of the ones previously combined by, by some calculations. You're at the same spot. And you're at the same spot because of a new set of technologies that we don't understand yet. We didn't understand when those guys invented what they did. They didn't really understand how much impact it was going to have. What else happened that we didn't understand the impact of happened in the mid to late 1940s? Yes, we, we harnessed the power of the atom. Some significant difficulties occurred as a result. Cold War, you've read about it in the history books. I lived through probably the back end of it, some of the back end of it. Why are we in a similar situation today? Tell me. AI, what else? Yes? You also have, how many, you've heard the old, all the old people like me talk to you about what it was like when you wanted to know something. What did I have to do? You tell me, you've heard it so many times from your parents and grandparents. You tell me what I had to do. Yep, I had to go get in the car, drive to the library, go through the card catalog, look it up in the Dewey Decimal System that nobody knew or cared about. A bunch of random numbers that told you where to go look for the one book that almost had the information you wanted in it right? It was never there. We couldn't find it. Now, you literally have the world's knowledge. All of mankind's knowledge is accessible here. When this first happened, what was the knowledge that mankind pushed at you? Two things. You're too young to know it. Anybody told you what the, what the internet was? 
when it first stood up. It was full of two things, cat videos and, and pornography. On, on the pornography was on an unbelievable level. It's actually unbelievably gotten better than when it first happened, but that, it, got, it was terrible initially. Still terrible now. What's, what's the point? What am I, why am I bringing this up? Why does it matter? Fertilizer and explosives represent power. Harnessing the atom represents power. So who's got the, I'll say, who's got the stupid banners in your school that says knowledge is power? Let's hang it up somewhere. That's true as well. You have access to more knowledge now than mankind ever has in one place. That is to say, you can find out anything that you want. So I got a question for you. Since you can find out anything you want, like anything you want to know, you can basically, you have a pathway to find it. It's probably in your pocket or in your home. How much smarter or how much more do you know than people 50 years ago? Genuinely, what do you think? Same, less, or more? Less? Ah, you guys are all pessimists. Less, really? More? Maybe? More? It turns out, it turns out it's about the same. Why is it the same? Why would it be the same? You have access to literally millions of times more information than I had access to. Why is it the same? Say again. I am old and deaf and I've shot way too many guns in my day. Yes. What's the limiting factor for how much you learn? There's two things. What are the two things in your brain that, that limit how much knowledge you can take on? Life is short. That's true. So yeah, there's a finite timeline on it. Say again. Is it entertaining? Yeah, your motivation matters. Motivation matters. Mechanically, what are the two things? Size of the brain, the memory capacity that you have. And the second thing is your processing speed. There's only, so much you can, there's only so much you can take in at any given rate, and there's only so much you're going to be able to store. You have long-term memory, you have working memory. That has not changed. AI might change that, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. So the reason I'm up here talking about AI, which is a little weird, I, I don't really work in AI. We use AI in the, in the DoD, so some of the technologies that I work with are ones that, that we adopt AI, early AI, and machine learning, but I went up to MIT a few years, several years ago, to a um, a place called the Lincoln Labs. They're a national research facility lab. A bunch of brilliant guys and gals are up there. They do a lot of work, and I gave a presentation up there that I thought nobody was going to come to. It was a philosophical presentation. It was the folks who were at this lab were building all the technologies that the Department of Defense uses for all the advanced warfare stuff, all the advanced satellites, all this amazing stuff. And I thought I was going to be squirreled away in the corner and nobody was going to care. Turns out I had the most popular presentation at the entire event. People were trying to take pictures of it. All the papers I'd put out were taken in the first like 10 minutes. It was nuts. The topic was solely what's going to happen with AI. All of those folks who work in it deeply were more interested in the philosophical implications, which was what my paper was about, 
of what AI was than they were in the practical matters. And they get paid lots of money to do that. So that means something particularly. So here's, why, here's what I want to bring up to y'all. You have probably heard a lot of things, positive about your generation, negative about your generation, what the world's going to be like, what to fear and, not, and what not to fear. That we want to talk a little bit about tonight. But I'm mostly interested in what you think about it. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of data that will hopefully help you out. And if you'll forgive me, I will refer to notes a little bit occasionally because this is one of my favorite topics. And if I'm left unrestricted, I will meander and talk forever on any given topic. Human and machine collaboration are happening now. And in your lifetime, you are going to see a change in power that's going to make the invention, that, that boom, that seven times increase in human population, that incredible increase in our ability to produce energy, it's not even going to compare to what you're going to see probably in your lifetime, certainly in your children's and your children's children's lifetime. So one of the things I'll, I'll talk about is where I think that's going, and I'll give you some reasons why, and I'll also give you some interactive back and forth as to what you ought to do about that or what you might want to do about that. So here's, I'll tell you something. I, I was asked to speak at a high school one time, and after I said what I'm about to say here, I was kicked out and not invited back. But this is my church, and so I don't, I don't think anybody's planning on kicking me out. We'll see what happens. Aaron's smiling at me in the back. How much of what you're taught in school is true? Percent. Somebody give me a percent. Zero. There's my pessimist in the group right there. It's not zero. What do you think? 30%? 25? Okay. I'm not the only five. Seven. I forgot. This generation also votes a lot. That's good. Consider, has anybody ever seen a textbook from 100 years ago? If you look at a textbook from 100 years ago, or especially 200 years ago, and you read it, you'll say to yourself, why did these people believe this? None of this is correct, or very little of this is correct. And that's, that's true. So what do you think people in 200 years are going to look back at your textbook and say? And it's not that it wasn't helpful. It was helpful. But you guys learned the model of the atom, right? How do atoms work? What's at the middle of an atom? Okay, what's in the nucleus? What's around the nucleus? And how do the electrons move around it? They orbit in orbitals, in circles. Did you know? Did you know that's completely false? Did you know that model does not work? The Bohr-Rutherford model of the atom, which you're taught in junior high or high school, is false. It doesn't work. If that's the way, if that's the way atoms really were, the electron would spin into the nucleus in a fraction of a second. The atom would collapse completely. So when you get out of high school and you go to college, and you take a college-level physics course, they'll tell you that these electrons are in, not in these orbitals, but they exist in shells, and those shells are of different shapes. And then you go take your more advanced class or a master's degree in it, and you'll find out that those are really a probability distribution of different shapes. And then eventually you'll do your PhD in it, and you'll find out that, that the model of the atom that you have doesn't work at all when you stick other atoms together, and it does not reflect how reality works. And now they're getting into how these electrons travel around orbits that are molecular instead of at the atomic level. 
And then when you get your PhD, they'll tell you the truth, which is, we don't know how it works. We have a really useful model that helps us develop a lot of technology, but we also know that this can't be it. So the standard model of particle physics is wrong, and we know that. We know that our best model of gravity and our best model of quantum mechanics don't fit together. So the things that we think are the most basic parts of science don't work. Same is actually true of our math. Now, why am I bringing this up? Do I just hate education? No, I don't just hate education. I actually love education. Why am I bringing it up? This is why. You have a problem, and it's that last question. What is the ratio of truth in the world for you? I had to drive to the library to learn something, so something like 10% of what I learned, maybe. I, I agree with whoever said 10, 20%. Maybe that's about right. What about you? How much more information do you have than I did? Not only do you have to sort out the 90%, you have to find it in the first place in petabytes and petabytes and petabytes worth of data out there. I don't know how you're going to do it. I've got an idea, but we'll talk about it. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, yeah, this is an eye chart. You're not going to be able to read any of that. So that's the presentation I did at, the, at, at MIT, it's Lincoln Labs, uh, human-machine collaboration seminar, colloquium. And it was a bunch of fancy ways of basically saying this. You don't have to worry about somebody creating a new brain in a box. There will never be AI like your mind. It's not going to happen. And I will give you two reasons for thinking that. One of them is not my idea. It's been around for a long time, but people have ignored it. And the other one is my idea, and I just think it's an interesting way to, to articulate it. But this basically took, has anybody heard the simulation argument? We may be living in a simulation. You guys heard this? Elon Musk backs it. So this is an argument against the simulation argument that says, if you assume that that guy, Nick Bostrom's simulation argument was correct, that his normal premises were correct, it actually proves to you that we'll never develop artificial intelligence. Because what you would expect to see, and I won't run through it here because I don't want to put everybody to sleep. If you're interested in it, I'll be happy to send this to you or tell you later. But it basically says uh, a feature that you would see in reality if you were living in a simulation is we'd already have an AI because it's such a valuable tool and giving you AI would materially advance all of our research efforts and everything else, including even the entertainment pieces. So we will, it is an argument that we will never see real, real deal, substrate independent, which means brain in a box. Ultron, not coming for you, so don't worry about that. All right, let's go to the next one. I'll give you two arguments. This is an old philosophical argument, but I'm interested to see if everybody in the room can follow me on this. This is, this is the standard, old, and in fact correct argument for why you don't ever have to be afraid that your machine is going to have a mind like you. Digital, who knows how digital machines work? There's only two parts to it. Ones and zeros, inputs, and then what's, what's the next step? What's happening? Yeah, there's a logic gates in there, and these logic gates are simply matching these data and putting them around. Now, let's assume that your computer is smarter than you think. 
In fact, let's put you in the room. And you're going to be in a room. We're going to call it the Chinese room. And it's called the Chinese room because they're going to give you... You don't speak Chinese, okay? You're fully conscious human being, but you don't speak Chinese. And in one, you have an instruction manual. And that instruction manual says, when you see this Chinese symbol, and you get this Chinese symbol, if you have these two together, then put them in this box. If you see these other three Chinese symbols, you put them in that box. Then you put them in this, in this out window. So it comes in the end window, you have a manual, you move it around, you match it up like the manual says, and you put it in the out window. Can you ever learn Chinese if that's all you've got? Chinese characters coming in, a manual that tells you how to mix them together, and, you just, and tells you to stick it out this window. That's what computers do. That's all computers do. And if you as a human being can't learn Chinese by doing what a computer does, it means the computer will never learn your language. Will never Because Chinese has semantic content. It has meaning. This Chinese symbol isn't just a bunch of scratches. It meant wagon, or it meant house, or it meant food. But you'll never know that. Even if you're fully conscious, you'll never know that which means your computer will also never know that. So that's actually the standard philosophical argument for why this isn't something to worry about. I'll tell you my argument next. The next one, I call this one the wizarding world. So computers take their processor, you give them data, zeros and ones, they combine them through these logic gates, and they output everything from screens to videos to math, whatever you want. But that just means, so can you create a mind out of that? How do you get a mind out of that? So let's do the same thing. Let's pretend that in our world, now we've got 8 billion people, like you said. Let's pretend that we had 86 billion people. Why 86 billion? What else has 86 billion? How many neurons are in your brain? 86 billion, give or take. Guess depends on your brain. Imagine you've got 86 billion people, and just for fun, everybody wears black robes. Where's there? You can be from one of the four houses: Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff. Slytherin, Ravenclaw. Okay, and you're all going to get rules. Okay, when you hear this person say zero, you say one. When you hear this other person say zero or one, you say one, regardless. And we give you all, all 86 billion of you, all of these rules. And then we start some zeros and ones out there and we say, go. And everybody starts chanting, zero, one, one, zero. And all the rules are being followed and everybody's chanting. Do you believe that a consciousness is going to arise for the entire world because you, you and a bunch of people in robes are chanting zeros and ones? Right? What do you literally believe in if you believe that? Like old, like genuine, just magic, magic that you get from nothing. That's how, that's how silly believing a consciousness will arise from a computing process is. Do you see why? Because that's all a computer does. A computer just puts together the zeros and ones the same way that human beings can speak them. What's the difference between them transferring it electrically and you saying it through sound waves? What's the difference? that matters that would raise consciousness. Consciousness cannot arise that way. So, whether you like the Chinese room or whether you like the Harry Potter version of it, the bottom line is, 
You don't have to worry about AI showing up in a box. You have to worry about something way, way worse. So let me scare you for a second, if you don't mind. Do you mind being scared for a second? How good can people be? I mean, we kind of know, if you're a Christian, what's the answer to that one? However good Jesus was, that's probably the top, right? Okay. How bad can people be? Okay. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to say it out loud, but follow me on this one. Three times three. You said it out loud. We'll try again. Three times three. Don't say it out loud. Three times three. Plus ten. Plus one. Times five. Say it together. Okay. How, how did you do that? Right. Okay. Let me give you another one since math was it. 256 times 7,914 minus 400 plus 5 million. What's the answer? No. <laughs> but... Somebody tell me why you could do the first one but couldn't do the second one. Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Why could you do the first but not the second? No, not because you're stupid. (laughs) You've memorized three times three. You've memorized those. Everybody memorized their times tables. That's why I can say six times four and you all know that it's... You didn't do the calculation, did you? Did you do the calculation? No, you memorized it, which means, listen up, listen please, when, you ask, when I ask you that question, all you did was go back and access the memory. Now, if I asked you to, multiply, to add three plus three plus three plus three, you could do it, but I could also just say, give me three times four, and you memorize that. So you can do the calculation, you can also memorize it. It's sitting in your memory banks. Your memory banks, banks, banks are in your brain. Your brain is physical matter, biochemical computer for you. What if you can connect the same executive part of your brain to another computer whose computer banks include all those data that are stored, and you can map that memory, map that memory pathway? What that means is when I asked you what 256 times 7,118 is, you would know that just as easily as you knew three times three. Okay, that's what would happen if you can count, if you could attach your executive function to expanded memory somewhere. What if you could attach your executive function to processing power? You guys know that we've already started putting chips in pigs' brains, and we've done it once with the human being, some test subject as well, where we're trying to connect the human calculating and memory storage devices up to silicon-based calculating and memory storage devices. So imagine now that you can connect your brain to all the data in the world and all the processing power that you want. What's the problem with that? Be specific. Let's say that your brain could handle it and say that that wasn't the problem. Let's pretend that you could. Part of the problem is... 
what does that, what is that person going to be in terms of power? Super powerful, right? Now, by the way, what are they also potentially connected up to? What if they can start changing computer connections on their own? What if they can see and write code? What if they can co-opt the AI code writing that's already out there? The really good people could do great and powerful things, like the people who make fertilizer can increase the world population sevenfold. But if you turn around and you use it to make atomic bombs with, or explosives with, you can do a lot of damage too. And the problem is not that AI is going to show up in a box. The potential problem is somebody's going to hook a human being up to that capability. And if you give a really good man a gun, he's going to protect people with it. And if you give an evil man a gun, what's he going to do? If that vision of AI comes forward, guns are going to look like clubs from 2,000 years ago. So if you want to be scared about anything, be scared as to what will happen when we multiply the human being's power by hooking it up to this much knowledge and this much capacity. That's your challenge, is to be so good that that doesn't become a threat. Right, let's go to the next one. So where is, what do you need to be, if, if, if I'm going to try to scare you with that, what's my encouraging word to you? Why? I got a question for you. What's the purpose of this world? From God's perspective, what's the purpose of this world? Why did he make this world? To glorify him. To glorify him. Are we his pets? Is this a terrarium? No? What's the purpose? Why are you here? When, when God was telling some of the prophets why it wasn't time yet, for certain of the enemies of Israel to fall, what did he say? Anybody remember? What does that mean? Why? Why is that important? God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. He wants people to come to him. And he is waiting for as many people as possible to come to him. As many people, in in my understanding, as he can get. And if that's God's purpose for the world, will he let it be destroyed by something we create? So you guys didn't live through this, but in the 1960s, do you know what people built in their backyards? Because they were afraid that the entire world was going to be destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. Did that happen? Do you know why it didn't happen? It's not because of us. We tried really hard in the Cuban Missile Crisis. We gave it our best effort at really messing this up. Why didn't it happen? Because that's not in God's plan that mankind wipe itself out. And this is why you don't have to worry about any of this. What's the one thing, depends on your view of the end times, what's the one thing that has to happen before Jesus comes again? Do you think that in your lifetime it's reasonable to expect that everybody in the world will have access to the gospel? What's, what are 7,000 of what are flying in low earth orbit right now? 7,000. They're on the way to building 7,000. Satellites that are doing what? 
Yeah, Starlink is going to bring the internet literally to the, the rest of the world. You can be in Papua New Guinea, someone can bring a Starlink antenna out there and you can have the internet at like gigabaud speed, eventually. Your lifetime will see the possibility that every human being in the world can have access to the internet if they want. And in your children's children's time, they probably almost want it whether they have it or not, whether they have it whether they want it or not like you do. Okay, so here's your challenge, by the way. In my day, I had to drive to the library to look for stuff. In your day, what happens? They are pushing it at you all the time, nonstop. Your challenge is not finding information. Your challenge is filtering information. Your challenge is not, I, I had to go out of my way to do evil. Evil shows up on your doorstep. Any old person that tells you that you have it easier than they did isn't thinking. You have it way harder than I did. You had it way harder than your parents do. Your life is easier from a technological perspective, but from a temptation perspective, from a moral perspective, from an ethical perspective, your world is much more complicated than mine was. But God doesn't let people down and he wouldn't have put you in this generation if you couldn't handle it. What else did he promise us? There has no temptation that has taken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and will with each temptation provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. He's literally promised you that there's nothing you'll be tempted with that you can't stand up to. He won't let it happen. So you put that together with what the technology is that you have and your generation has the potential for doing more good for the kingdom of God than all the generations combined since Christ. No pressure. Okay. I, would, I have some other stuff to say, but I've been talking for too long already. So I'm going to say a couple things, and then I'm going to ask you whatever questions you want to ask. We'll talk. Uh, let me go to the last one. So this is an important distinction, your brain and your mind. Let me warn you about something. And not necessarily nefarious, but the people who are selling stuff are doing a really, really good job using the sensor package that you carry around in your, in your pants, on your pocket, in your purse. They use that sensor package to see exactly how you behave. They know when you talk, they know when you sleep, they know when you sleep well, they know when you go to the bathroom, they know when you if you are presented with stuff to order, what you will order and what you won't. Stuff that we used to get restraining orders for people on because they were stalkers, we freely let people in. Have you ever seen the old meme where in 1940 they're like, shh, what, don't, don't talk, maybe the uh, FBI is tapping our line. Now we're like, hey, wiretap, what's, what movies are playing in my uh, area nowadays? Right? We put microphones and cameras in our own house. All the data are there. If you let yourself, you are a sheep or you are a crop to be farmed for money and power. If you know that and you're conscious and careful about it, and you have to be on your guard all the time, then you can let your own mind prevail. But the new battlefield is your brain. They know the chemicals. They know the stimuli. Companies are going to want to farm it for money. 
Influencers are going to want to farm it for attention. Politicians are going to want to farm it for power. Farming is good or evil? Supposed to be good. So the other thing that you can do is farm it for good. But the old objective, the devil has always been after your mind. Your generation has it a lot harder than mine did. You have to protect your brain. How did Jesus do it? Do you, did anybody ever think it's, you know the weirdest thing about Jesus? What's the weirdest thing about Jesus? Okay, that's weird. Yes, agreed. What else is weird? So Jesus is God, and whenever stuff starts happening, he takes off and he leaves everybody, and he goes who knows where for a day at a time, longer, all night. Why? Why is he praying if he and the Father are one, and he knows it, why is he praying? One way of looking at it is he's, yeah, go ahead. The man, the, the human part, he knew something, was that his brain is governed by different laws than the, just the mind of God is. And the chemicals matter, and the structure matters, and what you put into it matters. He unplugged from the stimuli of his disciples, of the people around him, of the people who wanted to make him king, of the people who wanted to give him a hard time. If you want to know how much control this has over your life, you unplug from it for a little while. And like the alcoholic, if you want to know you're an alcoholic, you stop drinking. And if your hands start shaking, you probably were drinking too much alcohol. I don't drink any at all because I come from a family where alcoholism didn't run in our family. It galloped. So I just stay away from it. Unplug from it for once in a while and see what happens. You've heard this too many times. But I'll tell you the reason why to unplug from it. On the other side of this, are everything from the companies, the politicians, the influencers, and the evil forces, and the good forces, all of them trying to influence you. If you want to know how deep they are in your brain, put it aside for a few days and figure it out. Right? And then realize the good that you can do from it too. Because this is also the single greatest tool for the spreading of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven that's ever been invented. You guys have all learned in the history books about the printing press? What a powerful tool that was? Huge revivals and everything everywhere? That's nothing. This right here is the way to spread all the right information as well as all the wrong information. But somebody's going to have to pick it up and fight with it. Are you going to do it? Because if you don't, and people like you, no one's going to. You are the light. The light of the world shines through you. You either reflect it, diffract it, concentrate it, and focus it, or it dies with you. Up to you. Okay, questions? Am I way past time? Okay. Scott, super grateful for you being here. Super grateful for you being here. Uh, if you were anything like me after listening to Scott for 30 40, 30, 40 minutes, my brain needs a little break, okay? So, to help us all, Take a little break, little mental break. We're going to get some questions for Scott. We got a little game with the one and only Tom. So we're going to do that a minute. Get her brain. While you're doing that, I want to formulate a few questions. And then we're going to, we're going to do that. So, hey, guys. Tonight, 
You heard a lot about, honestly, I think uh, an issue, an issue that has been unique, honestly, to your generation growing up, right? The, it's a lot of the issues of technology, uh, they have looked very different in the past, right? And it is a very, like, this is an issue that's, that's really right before you. Um, and so just, just want to kind of follow up a little bit on what Scott talked about, kind of trying to take this in and, okay, where do we, where do we kind of go from here? So Scott, I just want to kick it off. I, I know you got uh, a 10 year old is your oldest, so you're probably not quite in that cell phone age, but just as, as you look, as you look forward, like what is maybe some of your plans with your kids and then how do we I mean, you're, you're not advocating that we just throw out technology altogether, but how do we engage with it uh, in, in, in kind of an appropriate way? Um, yeah, love, love your practical thoughts on that. Yeah, the, I think the difference is, uh, is anybody in here a, a kart racer? Has anybody done, like, raced go-karts, that kind of stuff? So, all right, so if you, you know there are grades of carts, right? What happens if you put a noob in a top level racing cart. Like they're off in the infield, they can't, they can't drive it. So what you do is one of the ways that you learn to exercise power is that you are conscious of the fact that great power can destroy you or hurt you or whatever else. So you consciously walk your way through levels of it. If you're gonna play soccer, you play at the rec level first before you show up on the super competitive travel team field so you don't get destroyed, right? You wanna learn math, you learn the addition first. You don't show up to integral calculus first, okay? Same thing goes with how to interact with all of this knowledge out there. Be humble. Don't think that you can just step in and do it. You can't. If you step into this, this arena thinking that you're going to win, you're going to get your rear end handed to you by all the pros that are out there. So walk your way into it slowly. And the other thing to do is Find someone to mentor you in learning using the technology that has already mastered it. Isn't that what you do in school? Like in school, we don't throw you in school and be like, math, figure it out. All you eight, fourth graders, get in the room, think about it, come up with whatever you think is math. No, we take a math teacher, we teach it to you. Why do you think this is different? Find a master of information management and ask them how to do this. I'm going to do the same thing with my kids. So with my kids, I guess I'll, I'll hit this one of my kids. I coached them and I got them into hockey. Why? Because I knew hockey players represented, was a good representation of the secular world with a slight penchant for violence. Okay, so I knew that if I could make them good guys in there, but what did I do in particular? I volunteered to be a coach. Do I know how to play hockey? I grew up in Georgia. You think I know how to play hockey? No, I bought my first pair of skates and stepped onto the ice to help coach. Why? Because I'm using, completely using, that hockey team to be a leadership and social lab for my kids, where I coach them in hockey, but I mostly coach them in character and how to interact with other people. This is one of the things that, I, that drives me nuts about socialization. We always tell, we, hey, you, we need socialization. We put the kids in school for socialization. Any problem with that? That's like putting a bunch of kids together and saying, like, math, figure it out, learn it. Socialization is a skill. Character is a skill. Learning how to manage technology is a skill. 
Find a master, learn from the master. Well, that, and that's a great point. It's just something that I know is tough because you may, you may look and be like, well, I know how to use this maybe even better than my parents do, right? Like, you know, uh, I, well, I, I have to manage my phones for my, my parents, right? And I'm looking like, how do you not know how to push that button? Oh, my gosh. Like, you find new ways to break it. But, but that, that mindset, though, of saying maybe... Maybe I don't know everything. And I just, I really, I pray that you guys are hearing that from what Scott is saying, right? That maybe, maybe I don't know everything here. And maybe everything that the world is, is telling me is, is honestly, I think marketing a lot of stuff to me might not be the best thing for me. Speaking of which, uh, one of the things you talked a lot about, that, or you mentioned there was that we need to filter, Right? Can you, can you talk to me a little bit? What, is that, what does that practically look like? Yeah, give me some examples, practical examples of filtering, what that looks like. What do I filter, it, filter what I yeah. see through? You do that with, for two rules. Uh, so I'll say that this is a throwback. This is how when I wanted to, to like, uh, mentally um, challenge the young men that I worked with back when I was working with this group. 15 years ago, I would say this. Let me prove to you that you don't believe God is real. And this is what I would do with the young men. This didn't work for the ladies, but there's an analog somewhere. I'd say, you're in your room by yourself with the computer. What's the chances you're going to look at something on that computer you're not supposed to? And they'd, they'd sheepishly say, like, wouldn't say anything. I'd be like, something greater than zero? They'd be like, yeah, something greater than zero. I was like, okay, what if your dad was standing right beside you? What's the chances you're going to look at something you shouldn't look at? They'd be like, zero. Like, why? You think your dad's going to punch you in the head? They're like, no, no, we would just be ashamed that our dad, who's an authority figure over us, who know, we don't know, he wouldn't be happy with us if we did this. If he was standing right there, we wouldn't do that because it would be, we'd be ashamed. I'd be like, don't you think God is everywhere and can see what you're doing? Well, yeah. Don't you think he's an authority and a moral and doesn't want you to do that? Yeah. So what you're telling me is you don't actually believe God's there. And just prove that you don't think God exists. And they got very quiet. Because that's the difference between thinking something and believing something. So if you're going to filter, the first rule of filtering is don't be a hypocrite. The second rule of filtering is have a plan, a set of rules that you're not going to violate. And the third is this, we're human beings. God built us to be in families and groups and friends. We don't... I came from Marine, I was a Marine officer, it was, we did force recon stuff, I, I was in their version of the Special Forces. We didn't send guys out on their own. We had some of the strongest, toughest guys in the world and we sent them out in teams. Because you need other people to be strong. One guy alone is, dead, is a dead man. And the same is true when it comes to fighting this kind of stuff. Put yourself in a group, find a group where you look at the group and you say, I want to be like those people. That's the group you join, and then let them influence you. If you look at another group and you're like, ooh, that's a bunch, of, I don't want to be like those people, but I'm going to interact with them, I'll give you the military analogy of it very quickly. The military does not go out and fight all the time. They go and establish a base where they're safe, where they can refit, where they can eat, and then they go out and attack, and then they come back to the base in the staging area. You have to do the same thing. If you're out fighting all the time, you think you can do it alone, you're going to be a dead man in two weeks. We knew that. Last, uh, last question for you. 
You've, got a, you've shared a lot of really weighty things tonight, right? <laughs> Trying to bring um, everybody up, right? So. You're, uh, yeah. Why are you optimistic? Why do you have, I mean, why, why, why not just like, man, this is, the world is too hard, too nasty, too ugly, too scary, too whatever. Let me just bury my head in the sand or whatever. I mean, there's a whole bunch of options for what I could do. Why, why do you have hope? Why Here, you have here's why. Remember what I told you about the fertilizer and the explosives? How many people do you think God was unaware that that technology was going to come out at that time? And what did he allow to happen? Let me give you a couple other numbers. How many people did we get out of that invention? You said it earlier. How many people did we get? Six and a half, seven billion. How many did we lose in the world wars? 100 million? What percentage is that? 99. God got 99% for the 1% we lost. Does that match anything you've heard in the Bible? Yeah, right. Maybe a coincidence, but bottom line is this. That technology coming out wasn't, didn't, didn't come up to the destruction of mankind. It came out to increase mankind, to life one, life one in that competition. How many Christians are there? in the world today. How many? Three, depending on the stats, three billion. Three billion Christians. By the way, wouldn't be on the planet if the fertilizer didn't show up. Okay, and wouldn't have, you think God, that was a mistake, God's like, oh, thank goodness that, we got three billion people out of that, I didn't see that coming. This is all part of God's plan. And I'm telling you that the number of Christians in the world, if I think, is gonna increase, not decrease. But you have to be part of that. It is your responsibility to be part of that. And when God, everybody knows the Spider-Man saying, right? With great. Why do we know Spider-Man better than we know the Bible? Okay, I understand. Listen to me. This is the most important sentence I'm going to say today. Your generation has the most power of any generation ever in in the history of mankind. Which means that you have the greatest responsibility. And God would not give you that responsibility if he didn't think you could handle it. So handle it. For me and for my kids. Because my kids need you. Please, I'm asking you. Thank you, you guys have been terrific to talk to.